Let's pray. Lord God, as we look to your word, Lord, we pray that you would help me to convey it in the truthful and understandable way, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us in our understanding as we listen to your words, Lord, and lead us, Lord, into the way of truth in all, in all our lives, Lord, as we apply your word to our lives by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the resurrection account of the Gospel of John, we see a slow progression of belief. Mary Magdalene, who came to Jesus' tomb first, does not expect to find anything different than what she had left on Friday. She went to the tomb to mourn, to be near Jesus' body, to put spices on his burial cloths when the others arrived. But she was alarmed when she found that the stone had been removed from the entrance of the tomb, and she assumed that someone had taken Jesus' body to some unknown place. Upset and afraid, she ran and told Jesus' two closest disciples, probably hoping that they could come and investigate quickly and find out where Jesus' body had been moved to. She apparently had no thought of Jesus being resurrected. Well, Peter and John ran back with her, and John arrived first and looked into the tomb, seeing the cloths lying there, but no Jesus. And then Peter arrived and went right inside the tomb to investigate fully. He not only saw the linen cloths lying there, but also Jesus' face cloth folded up in a place by itself. But we know nothing of Peter's thoughts just then from John, but Luke describes them as bewildered. On the one hand, if anyone had wanted to simply move Jesus' body, they would have left it wrapped. On the other, if, if someone wanted to steal anything, it would have been the linen cloths that the rich Joseph of Arimathea had soaked with 75 pounds worth of myrrh and aloes. Then John, who had reached the tomb first, also went into the tomb with Peter. And he saw Jesus' folded face, face cloth and believed that Jesus was alive. Something about the folded, the folded face cloth probably indicated to John that Jesus had done it. And he notes that it was not understood from Scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So perhaps he had remembered something that Jesus has, had said as he as he looked at that face cloth. The mysterious words of Jesus that were so hard to understand perhaps began to click in at that point. But John and Peter had no other leads, so they simply went back to their place. Mary, the one who Jesus had cast out seven demons from, remained there. 
She was well acquainted with the spiritual realm, so was not alarmed to see two angels as she looked into the tomb and actually answered their question as to why she was weeping. At the same time, she noticed a man behind her asking her the same question. He then asked who she was seeking. And thinking he was the gardener, she began conversing with him, but is stopped when he addressed her by name, Mary. And finally, she recognized it was Jesus alive again. So we have Mary naturally thinking that someone had taken Jesus' body away with no thought of him being resurrected. We have Peter simply observing everything in bewilderment. And we have John believing that Jesus was indeed alive when he saw Jesus' face cloth folded and set apart from the rest of the linen before seeing Jesus. Then after Peter and John went back to their place, Mary had believed when she had heard Jesus call her by name after she had first saw the angels and then saw Jesus. And she was told by Jesus, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and all that he said to her. But we learn from Mark and Luke that they didn't believe her witness. And so we get to our text today, when Peter believes, and the rest who were there, minus Thomas. Verse 19 of John chapter 20. Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that whole scene? Jesus appears alive out of nowhere in the midst of his disciples and offers them evidence of both his death and his life. He is reunited, he is reunited with his disciples and he shows them his wounds. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's perhaps a bit understated. These are not Englishmen. They rejoiced greatly. They were ecstatic with joy. That's probably a better translation. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. Jesus had to say again, Peace to you. And he wastes no time then explaining, but he commissions them then, saying, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. His disciples had a job to do. 
That's what they had been trained for with Jesus for the past few years. They had been trained to be sent on a mission by Jesus in the same way that he was sent by his Father. And they will need the same Holy Spirit to accomplish his work. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, as you know, this is not yet Pentecost. So the giving of the promised Holy Spirit, which was contingent on Jesus going away from the disciples and returning to the Father and being fully glorified in heaven, has not yet happened, or at least it doesn't seem so. Uh, Still, it seems from this act that some transmission of the Holy Spirit has happened here to the disciples through Jesus. The Gospel of Luke says, He, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend scriptures. And that is, as we know, a work of the Holy Spirit. But John seems to be emphasizing the power to forgive. As right afterward, Jesus said, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Of course, the disciples had power to forgive forgive others only because God, through Jesus Christ and his redeeming work, had forgiven them. I want to call your remembrance to one of Jesus' teachings. I want to call your attention to the parable of the wicked servant that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 18, relating it to the kingdom of God. In that parable, a king forgave a servant of his a great debt. And afterward, the servant did not forgive the debt, the minor debt, of a fellow servant. And the king summoned him and said to him, I forgave you all that debt. Should you not also have compassion? Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Again, in that parable, the servant had owed the king the equivalent, some say, of millions of dollars. And the servant was compassionately released from that debt by the king and totally forgiven. He was therefore enabled by the king's forgiveness of the debt he owed to forgive his fellow servant, who owed him far less, just a few dollars. But the servant didn't do it. He didn't pass on the compassion that he had received from the king. Interestingly, that parable came as a response to Peter asking Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times 
but up to 70 times 7. And Jesus went on into that parable. If we relate that parable to the words of Jesus here in John, giving his disciples authority to forgive sins, we see that power to forgive sins comes first of all from what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us and for them, releasing them and us from the penalty of our sins, forgiving our debts, but left to their own and left to our own, people may still falter, forgiving others like that wicked servant had. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to take control. And there is more. The disciples were to be ambassadors of Christ, as all Jesus' true disciples are called to be. They had to transmit his forgiveness to others somehow. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's from 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul says, For the love of Christ, in verse 14, compels us, because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for their, themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So love comes from the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on, Therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't because we know what Christ did for all, that he died for everyone's sins. Paul goes on in verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And so, that's why we have Jesus' commissioning and the giving of the Holy Spirit to pronounce forgiveness within the gospel message to those who receive it, to those who receive Jesus. And we do that being compelled by the love of Christ. Jesus said this to his disciples in in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 24, Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the disciples were 
given capability to forgive others through Jesus forgiving their debt and giving them the Holy Spirit. But they, but they were also given power to pronounce forgiveness to others who repented and looked to Christ's sacrifice as payment for their sin as they shared the gospel. But there's a second part, of course. The disciples were also given authority to retain sins, and that's a difficult one. What does it mean to retain sins? Well, it seems that that is in a church setting. Again, looking back to the same passage in Matthew with, with Peter asking about the forgiveness of sins seven times and Jesus responding 70 times seven. And the parable of the unjust servant that followed. Well, this is what comes right before that. Jesus said to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, i.e. acknowledges his sin, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, does that sound like forgiveness? No, it's not. That is retaining. And that is in the context of Christian brothers and sisters. Sin that is never recognized or acknowledged by the sinner cannot be forgiven. The authority to retain sins was given to the apostles for the context of the church, for the context of believers. True sin against other Christians in the church must be called out for what it is by the church, especially because it, it affects and hinders the whole body's function, the whole body's mission. Jesus went on, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That's Matthew eighteen fifteen to 20. As one commentator wrote concerning the retention of, of forgiveness, the giving of the Spirit is here specifically related to the power given to the church to continue, continue the judicial character of of Christ in the matter of sin. And of course, that is just, just here. But that is only when sin is not acknowledged by the sinner in the church. Otherwise, it must be forgiven. But these, of course, are delicate matters. 
and require great care, great discernment, and spiritual oversight, hence the need of the Holy Spirit. Have you been sinned against by someone? Someone in the church? Have, have you been hurt? Feeling hurt and being hurt are very different. You can feel hurt by not being noticed, for instance, but no one has sinned against you in that case. So that's not a case that the church gets involved in. That's just your feelings. Have people lied about you to others in the church, slandered you or damaged your reputation, cheated you, disrespected you, or failed, failed your trust in some ways? If they have not acknowledged it and repented, then you have something to do. You have to discern how the Holy Spirit wants you to handle that with regards to what Jesus said in Matthew, of course. And our scripture is so wonderful, it actually gives us a case study in 1 Corinthians 5, where, where the church forgiving a sin before repentance happened was damaging the church, and, and retaining the sin was necessary in order to bring repentance and forgiveness afterward. And this is where Paul came and corrected them. But that aside, the power to forgive is such an awesome supernatural power enabled by Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, forgiving our sins and his Holy Spirit working in us that we must show that it is appreciated. And how do we do that? We allow the Holy Spirit to have its way in us. We use what God has graciously given us to forgive others. Of course, it's much easier to forgive someone who has sinned against someone else than it is to forgive someone who has sinned against you. And a disciple's mission, like Jesus' mission, is filled with hurt. But that hurt, because we were forgiven and commissioned by Jesus, is also absorbed by him and his sacrifice. And therefore, we are sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings as we forgive others. We are commissioned. We need to forgive both Christians and non-Christians who sin against us. Giving that forgiveness is a witness to Jesus. We need only to be his representatives and forgive out of what he has forgiven us. And do it from the love that he compels us with. It's easier said than done. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need his love to enable us to forgive. So ask Jesus to breathe on you. Let's pray. Lord God, I do... Again, thank you for your word. I do thank you for these words that spoke to 
your disciples back then and the same words speak to us your disciples today lord we just pray that you will lord apply these words to our hearts allow us to know the truth of them and allow us to know the power of your forgiveness and your love so that we can in turn forgive others lord we thank you that you've given us your holy spirit for this purpose in jesus name we pray amen <music>